Take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. For those of you who know that I've been walking with this device here recently, you know, I graduated from uh, a a crutch to a cane. which, uh, you know, which I'm thankful for. But uh, there's another condition that I have that's actually just disrupting and prolonging uh, my recovery from the surgery that I had in October. Uh, And it's typically in the walking motion that I have the pain. So that's why I have this. I'm going to attempt to stand. If I sit down, you know why. All right? Uh, But let's read Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read... Matthew 6, uh, verses 1 to 18. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you. Um, And we're going to read Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 18. This is our Lord Jesus Christ speaking, and this is what the Spirit says. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then... You will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. They have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray together. O Lord, we come to these words to hear them, to receive them, to believe them, 
to be challenged and corrected and encouraged and changed by them. And so we pray by the work of your Holy Spirit that you will do that. That though my voice will be used, that your words will be what matters most to us. Help us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What drives your spiritual disciplines? What motivates you to give, to pray, to fast? Why do you study the Bible? Why do you read those books on theology? Why is it that you teach, that you serve? Why did you come here this morning? Why do you do what you do in the name of being Christian? What drives your spiritual disciplines? That is a question that is at the forefront of what Jesus is doing in this part of the Sermon on the Mount. As I've said before, this sermon is meant to define for us what it means to be a Christian. What is it like? How are we to live as distinct people, as Christian people, as those who belong to the kingdom of God? And as we come to chapter 6, this week as I was preparing, I was struck by something uh, written, well, it was first spoken, but then written by Martin Lloyd-Jones quite some time ago. And this is what he wrote. Just listen about this chapter. There is no chapter which is more calculated to promote self-humbling and humiliation than this particular one. But thank God for it. The Christian should always be anxious to know himself. And here is a chapter that brings us face to face with ourselves and enables us to see ourselves exactly as we are. But I repeat, thank God for it, because it is only the man who has truly seen himself for what he is who is likely to fly to Christ and to seek to be filled with the Spirit of God, who alone can burn out of him the vestiges of self and everything that tends to mar his Christian life and living." Thank God for chapters like this one. You know, self-knowledge is actually painful. It's one of the most painful things we can acquire as we read the Bible, is knowledge of ourselves. But the pain is worth it. The pain is part of how the Spirit of God works to change us, to refine our character, to make us less like the world and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's what should be happening any time we encounter the Word of God. We should be asking the Lord to show us not only Himself, but ourselves, that we might change, that we might grow. And that kind of confrontation of who we are is certainly what's been happening in the Sermon on the Mount, isn't it? Yeah. And as we move into chapter 6, Jesus just doesn't relent. He doesn't set down his scalpel for a minute. He just keeps up with the exploratory surgery so that we can see ourselves. But as you remember, in chapter 5, he was confronting the scribes and the Pharisees, and actually he's continuing to do it in chapter 6. 
In chapter 5, he confronted their preaching. They were getting their preaching wrong, twisting the law and that. And in chapter 6, he confronts their practice. He confronts the way that they're living. He confronts the fact that they love to be applauded. They love the praise of people. He says it also later in Matthew 23, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. And Jesus exposes that wrong way of living actually so that he can warn his disciples not to follow in their footsteps. He says, do not be like them. And for them, it was a warning. That's why there's beware right there at the front end in chapter 6. Beware. For his disciples, this was a warning. This wasn't, strictly speaking, a rebuke of them. Jesus isn't out to crush his disciples. His goal isn't to pound them into obedience. He's a compassionate teacher and friend who is warning them of great danger. And as we hear his words, certainly they confront us, don't they? Certainly they convict us. But we should hear them in this same patient and tender and loving way that this shepherd is speaking to his sheep to try to keep them from falling off a cliff. The cliff of false devotion to God. And so let's all listen today as Jesus calls us back from the edge of that cliff to safety. And he does it, first of all, with one warning. One warning. It's there in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now, this isn't the first time that Jesus has spoken of righteousness in this sermon. If you look back at chapter 5, verse 6, this is one of the defining characteristics of a Christian, of a member of the kingdom of God. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then in chapter 5, verse 20, look down at that. Jesus says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is saying here, he's kind of tagging on to it. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Yes, do that. Hunger for it like a starving man does a meal. Thirst for it the way a thirsty man does a drink of water. But beware. Yes, yes, your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. But as you're pursuing that, beware. Watch out. Pay attention. Beware of the danger that may very well take you by surprise. It reminds me of that scene in The Princess Bride. You remember uh, when Wesley and the princess go into the fire swamp, right? 
From the outside, if you're just looking at it and you've never seen the movie, it just looks like a forest, no big deal. But he explains very quickly that when you go in, there are these dangers that can come, right? There are the fire spurts, and there's this lightning-fast quicksand, and then, of course, the R-O-U-S's, the rodents of unusual size. And they can all just take you by surprise. And on the road of righteousness... There are dangers that will take us by surprise. Now, to be clear, it's not the actual practice of righteousness that's dangerous, okay? It's not actually being devoted to God. Your spiritual disciplines, your Bible reading, your prayer, your giving, your fasting, your church attendance, your serving, all of those things, those aren't the dangerous things. It's doing righteous deeds with unrighteous motives. That's where the danger lies. And it's particularly dangerous because it looks good, right? Because, oh, I'm giving. Oh, I'm praying. I'm fasting. I'm reading. I'm studying. I'm teaching. I'm preaching a sermon on all of this stuff. This is good, right? Because this is what you see. This is what you hear. This is what's on the outside. But Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by this. Do you know what strikes me? That as we hear those words, we need to realize that sin knows no boundary. It's not just waiting in those dark, heinous corners of society. It's not just out there somewhere. It's not just when I fall in with the wrong group of friends at school. It's not just when I start feeding my mind trash, you know, and with all my friends because they tell me that, look, you need to come see this. Sin is more cunning than that. Sin is more clever than that. Sin knows it will never get you doing that kind of thing. But it will sneak and it will lurk and it will follow you everywhere. You see, sin doesn't take a coffee break while you're praying. Sin doesn't look the other way while you're giving. Sin doesn't go on vacation while you're fasting. Sin isn't waiting for the car while you're in here studying the Bible and singing praise and encouraging others and fellowshipping with your church family. No, sin tracks you everywhere you go. It lurks in the shadows. It crouches at the door of the most holy moments. And its desire is to have you. It crouches in the most intimate acts of spiritual devotion and wants to grab you. And if you don't heed Jesus' warning, and if I don't heed Jesus' warning, it will have us. What is the sin that crouches at the door of these devotions to God? What's right there in verse 1, isn't it? In order to be seen by them. Self-exaltation, pride, is the sin that awaits 
that, sn- that snuck in here with you this morning and is sitting in the pew right next to you. It's standing next to the pulpit with me. Oh, to be seen. Oh, to be known. Oh, to be applauded. Oh, to be exalted. Oh, to be lifted up. It's whispered in all our ears. Now, we've seen this idea of being seen before in chapter 5, verse 16. Look back at it. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So, now this is, we talked about this when we were in chapter 5, but we need to talk about it again because there Jesus seems to say that our good deeds ought to be seen. And here he seems to be saying, uh, we, we should let our light shine so that they will see. And here, don't do it so that you will be seen. Now, when we were there, we looked at these Greek verbs that are there. But you know what? You don't even have to go to the Greek to find an answer. You just look in the English because just a few verses before that let your light shine passage, do you know what Jesus says in chapter 5, verse 11? He says, blessed are those who are persecuted and insulted, those who are despicable to the world, those who are hated for my name's sake. He's telling his disciples, you are going to live in an environment where everything is against you. The world will be against you. And friends, what is the temptation when it's dangerous to be a Christian? What is the temptation when your friends are going to laugh at you for wanting to start a Bible study at your school? What is the temptation when you start to talk about your faith over lunch? The temptation is to hide, to run. To be secretive. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. Let your light shine so that it's seen, no matter the opposition, because when your light is seen, it'll lead people to glorify God. But here in chapter 6, Jesus isn't dealing with the temptation to hide. He's dealing with the temptation to hog the spotlight, to yank God off center stage and put ourselves there. So that rather than my life being seen and God being glorified, I want my life to be seen so I'm glorified. That's what he's dealing with here. The words in chapter 5 fight against cowardice. The words in chapter 6 fight against pride. The words in chapter 5 fight against self-protection. And the words in chapter 6 fight against self-promotion. As one commentator put it so succinctly, show when tempted to hide. Hide when tempted to show. That's the essence of the difference. Why should you beware? Because if you put yourself and your righteousness on display, if the world is your stage and people are your audience and spiritual devotions are just a script and Christian is a part you play, then you'll have no reward from God for that. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father 
who is in heaven. So how's it going for you? Do you do that? Let me tell you something. It's really easy to set aside a general warning like that, isn't it? It's really easy to say, oh, what a shame. It's so sad that people do that, isn't it? I'm so glad I'm not like those people. But Jesus doesn't want us saying things like that. Jesus doesn't want us saying, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. When we ought to be saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And so Jesus goes on from this worn morning to three illustrations. Three illustrations. Let's just read them and then I'll talk about, we'll, we'll talk about them. Beginning in verse 2. Thus, when you, give, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray... Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now skip ahead to verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may, be, may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So giving, praying, and fasting. These are the three illustrations that Jesus uses to drive home this warning. And quite frankly, the Bible has a lot to say about giving and praying and fasting. And as I've thought back over the last... 12 years, I'm fairly certain we've done series on giving and on praying and on fasting at one time or another. But I'm not going to do a deep dive into those three areas. Why? Because Jesus doesn't. Jesus uses them as illustrations to drive home this one thing to beware of practicing your righteous in the eyes of others. Also, you noticed I skipped verses 7 to 15. That was on purpose. We're going to come back to them next week, Lord willing. Because there, in verse 7 and 8, if you look closely, Jesus is making a distinction between the way his followers pray and the way the Gentiles pray. But the rest of these verses are about a distinction between how his disciples pray and give and fast and how hypocrites approach praying and giving and fasting. So we'll come to those next week. So the word hypocrite is in each of these three illustrations. It's in verse 2, it's in verse 5, and it's in verse 15. And certainly you've heard the word, right? But did you know that it's often misused? 
So that when Christians complain, when non-Christians complain about all the hypocrisy in the church, someone will try to, you know, comfort them and get in with them and say, hey, look, we're all hypocrites. All of us sin. All, none of us are perfect. But the fact of the matter is, when you look at how the Bible describes a hypocrite, it's not a person who isn't perfect or who still sins. That's actually a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ can say that, right? The word actually comes from the realm of the theater. A hypocrite is an actor. A hypocrite is an actor who puts on the appearance and the mannerisms and the language and the behavior of a character for the stage. Okay? Now... Very soon, Susan and I will have been married 24 years, and um, in the time, I have grown quite fond of the way that she watches television. Um, it's these little things, isn't it, the longer that you're married? Uh, because as we watch maybe a TV show or a movie or something, uh, she gets m- much more heavily invested in the characters and in the story than I do. That's often the case. So when something tragic happens, I don't actually keep looking at the screen. I look at Susan, and I love the faces that she makes when things happen. And so I playfully look over at her, and I put my arm on her, I hand on her arm, and I say, don't forget, it's fiction. <laughs> Nothing actually happened to that actor, right? Because, look, the fact of the matter is we're okay with hypocrisy when it comes to plays and when it comes to musicals and when it comes to TV shows and movies. This is where hypocrisy lives and thrives, and that's where it should stay, Jesus says. Spirit, devotion to God is not, the pl- is not a place where hypocrisy should come in. A hypocrite is an actor. I don't know if you know this, but Robert Downey Jr. is actually not Iron Man. I know, it's very disappointing. Spoiler alert. All right? And you're okay with it, and I'm okay with it. But Jesus says, there there are no actors in my kingdom. Being a Christian is not playing a part. So, friend, if you're not a Christian, I want you to hear me clearly. Christianity is not a life of putting on devotion that you don't actually believe. It's not a life of putting on a bunch of externals so that you can do the religious things and get along with the religious people and do all the religious stuff thinking that that is what God is all about. As if the interior person doesn't matter. No, 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 no. Jesus did not die so that you could do things just to show off, just to be part of religious activity. Jesus Christ died to forgive your sin and save you and make you completely new from the inside out. He did not die to make you a hypocrite. He died to make you his. And if you come to him by faith, he will do that for you. 
He will save you. He will completely transform you. But please don't get the idea that being a Christian means becoming a hypocrite. And if you're a Christian, hang on to that because we can act, let's use the right words, hypocritically, right? We can be like a hypocrite sometimes, can't we? We can go through motions, but our heart's not in it. That can happen. But a true Christian is not a hypocrite. A true Christian doesn't walk around with just Christian stuff on the outside and nothing is different on the inside. You see, Jesus isn't drawing a line between good Christians and bad Christians here. He's drawing a line between Christians and pretenders. That's the line he's drawing. So we need to be clear on that. And these three illustrations, as we take them together... They say three basic things that help us to understand what it will mean to heed Jesus' warning, all right? The first is this, to not be a hypocrite. Don't draw attention to yourself. That's the first thing. Don't draw attention to yourself. That's what Jesus says in each of these. Now, every faithful Jew was expected to give, to pray, and to fast, and Jesus still expects us to do it. He's not saying throw out these disciplines. He doesn't say if you fast or if you pray or if you give. He says when. But Jesus warns us about these spiritual disciplines. He says don't use them as a way of stepping into the spotlight. So look at verse 2. Why might you give? That they may be praised by others. Friends, the word praised in the Bible is almost exclusively used to speak of praising and honoring and glorifying God. When we give in order to be seen, we rob God of his glory. And then verse 5 and verse 16, verse 5 that they may be seen by others. And the same phrase comes in verse 16, but it's a different word than in verse 1. This word, that they may be seen, it's like, uh, it's like on uh, Who Wants to Make a Deal, right? Let's Make a Deal. Remember that? You know that show where you, know, you pick a curtain and then the curtain pulls back and there's whatever it is? That unveiling, that's the word there, to be seen. They want the curtain to be pulled back so that they can be seen as a great prayer. They can be seen as a devoted faster before the Lord. They want their spiritual devotion to unveil themselves to the world. Don't draw attention to yourself. Jesus says don't do it. Don't blow trumpets when you give. Don't stand on street corners shouting your prayers. And don't look gloomy when you fast. Now, I've been serving in this congregation for more than, for almost 12 and a half years now. And we used to, you know, PC, pre-COVID, we used to pass like a plate around uh, to give the offering. And do you know, in all of those 12 years, I can say with certainty, no one stood up and blew a trumpet during the offering. No one said, hey, guess what I'm giving today, guys? Guess what percentage of my income is in this envelope? No, 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 no. Sin is more subtle than that. 
we're actually really good at drawing attention to ourselves in ways that don't seem like we're drawing attention to ourselves. You know, I just, I just want to share praise today. I just feel so deeply blessed that I was able to pay my friend's electric bill this month. That I was able to give my old car away to somebody in need. I just, I just, I just feel so good about that. Or maybe we show up to the prayer meeting, which we ought to do, but we show up at the prayer meeting and we pray longer and with more sincerity in a group than we ever do alone. Or we say things like, oh, I'll pray for you. Praying, prayers, or you just send the, you know, this little emoji here and never follow through. Because what I'd really like is the reputation of being a prayer warrior. Or we post on social media. This is so odd, isn't it? We post on social media about our fast from social media. I, I'm going to be taking the next week to spend more time with the Lord that I would have spent on here, guys. Beware of drawing attention to yourself because there is a self-affirming superiority that comes along with it. Sin is so clever. You know what it'll convince you to do? It'll convince you, you need to post about that. You need to say something about that so that it'll encourage others. Yes, that's what I'll say. I'm doing it to encourage others. And in the back corner of your heart, you're like, somebody please like this. Somebody please say something. Somebody talk about it. Friend, it's just better to just keep it all out of the spotlight. Don't. Draw attention to yourself. Public expressions of faith are to be about the Lord, not about me. Secondly, be devoted to the Lord in secret. Okay, this is the second thing through these illustrations that Jesus says. He keeps saying it, doesn't it? Doesn't he? He says, uh, do, do what you do in secret, in secret, in secret. Don't get in the spotlight. I mean, this is the flip side of not drawing attention to yourself, right? Be devoted to the Lord in secret. Now, don't misunderstand. Jesus is not fully privatizing the Christian faith or the Christian life. All of these things would have been done publicly. Israel gave publicly to the temple. People brought their gifts Publicly, Paul tells the Corinthians, when they gather to take up a collection for the poor in Jerusalem, uh, when it comes to praying, public prayer is part of the Old and New Testament. It's all over the place. When it comes to fasting in the Old Testament, it wasn't unusual for a national fast to be called for one reason or another. And in the New Testament, in Acts 13, the church in Antioch is actually fasting when the Lord sets apart Paul and Barnabas for mission. They're fasting together as a kind of corporate fast. Jesus isn't doing away with public expressions of faith, so don't move toward a completely privatized faith. I mean, we live in an age of easy access, don't we? Easily accessed sermons, easily accessed video worship services, easily accessed 
Music, easily accessed everything. Probably have Amazon deliver your communion right to your door. Wouldn't it just be very easy to just stay at home for virtually any reason? Oh, well, it's been a really busy weekend. I had to mow the yard before I went back to work this week. Got a big week, going out of town this week. Oh, we had company in, and my cousin doesn't actually go to church. In Tennessee, it would be something like there's an eighth of an inch of snow on the ground. All right. But isn't it easy to find a reason to stay home? It's so easy because I can just, I don't even have to open up my laptop anymore. I just push a button on my remote control and some kind of worship service somewhere, I can get it up there and I can sit there and watch it. That is so easy. And we ought to praise the Lord for things that technology provides us. But we cannot try to convince ourselves that the only thing that matters is that I hear a sermon. The only thing that matters is that I sing some songs. The only thing that matters is that I'm praying along with them, no matter where I am. That is not the only thing that matters. The church is a gathered body of believers, and when you dispense of the gathering, when you dispense of the together, when you dispense of the family aspect, you dispense of God's idea of the church and of the Christian life. But that being said, don't just be devoted. Devoted to the Lord in public. That's what Jesus is driving at. Be devoted to the Lord in secret. Put away your trumpet when you give. Hide your right hand from your left. Don't be generous for the thanks or for the round of applause or for the plaque on the back of the pew or for your name on a building or for anything. Be devoted to the Lord in secret. Go into your closet and pray. Close the door. Shut yourself off from the world. And don't sit there imagining what it might be like if your wife or your children found you praying in your secret place. Oh, how good it would be if they found me. Be devoted to the Lord in secret. When you fast, don't highlight your rumbling stomach. Clean yourself up. Look like it's any other day. Be devoted to the Lord in secret. Now, for some of us, I don't need to say when you fast. I need to say you need to fast. Fasting is an incredibly important discipline to starve ourselves of the things of the world that we might feed on Christ. It wasn't for the old, it's not for the olden days, you understand. Well, that's what they did in the Bible, but we don't do that today. No. But certainly do it and be devoted to the Lord in secret. The third statement would be look to God alone for the reward. Okay? So don't draw attention to yourself. Be devoted to the Lord in secret. Look to God alone for reward. Because let's be honest, whether you're a hypocrite or a true Christian, you're going to be rewarded, right? Either... You're going to be rewarded when you do draw attention to yourself by all the people that are amazed by whatever it is you're doing, that they're in awe. They're like, I wish I could be that disciplined. I wish I could do that. I wish I gave like that. 
or you're going to be rewarded for being devoted to the Lord in secret. But here's the thing that Jesus makes clear. You can't have both. It's one or the other. If you give and pray and fast and attend church and parent and evangelize and counsel in order to be seen, in order to be known, in order to be rewarded, in order to be thought of as especially spiritual, then that is it. At the end of verse 2 and verse 5 and verse 16, Jesus says, They have received their reward. That word received was used in commercial business transactions that once a full payment was made, I would give a receipt to say that has been paid in full. And Jesus says if you look to people for their applause, then whatever you get from them, you got your receipt and there's nothing else coming. Now those words ought to sober us, shouldn't it? Those should give us pause. There's nothing else. You've received your reward. And let me ask, who does it please most when I am applauded by other people? Me. Me. Seeking People's applause and approval and honor is just a way to serve myself. That's all it is. Don't do it, friends. The reward of man is fickle and it is temporary. It is like storing up treasures on earth. Moth and rust are going to eat it and it will be destroyed. Look to God alone for reward. Don't focus your life on leaving a legacy, okay? Don't make it your aim to be remembered, to be honored, to be idolized, even by your children or your grandchildren. Don't focus on what will be said about you by those who are left behind. Focus instead on what will be said by the one to whom you go when you step into eternity. Because you see, there's a set of words that we all want to hear, but they will fade and ultimately be meaningless if they are spoken by people. And they will give great joy and peace and they will stand forever if they are spoken by God. And those, those words are, well done, good and faithful servant. Whose voice do you want to hear say that? Your wife's? Your kids, your family, your church, your friends, the public, or God. Because God stands apart from all those others and only one side is going to say it. Only one side is going to say it. Friends, we have to beware of making the Christian life a show, don't we? Of drawing attention to ourselves, 
of only being devoted to the Lord in public. We have to beware of looking anywhere but God for our reward. So let me just ask you the questions I asked you at the front, and then we'll pray. What motivates you to give and to pray and to fast? Why is it that you study the Bible and read those theology books and teach and serve and attend worship? Why do you do what you do in the name of being a Christian? What drives your spiritual discipline? The good news is that every hypocrite can find hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Every hypocrite can find change in the Lord Jesus Christ. Every hypocrite can find forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. Every hypocrite can no longer be a hypocrite when they come to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, oh, how we tremble before your word. How we think of times when we have acted hypocritically, when we have put on a mask of devotion, when underneath our hearts are far from you. How often we have sung your praise when our hearts were not set on you. How often we have loved the spotlight rather than serving in the shadows. Father, we pray for your grace today. We pray that we will heed Jesus' warning, that we will not live for Jesus in order to be seen and rewarded by the world, by friends, by family. But we will live for Jesus Christ to glorify Jesus Christ and to have joy in Jesus Christ forever. Make us a congregation faithful to that call. And Father, I pray if there are those here whom your Spirit has penetrated with these words in such a way that they have now a self-knowledge that is deeply painful, the knowledge that they are hypocrites and not actual Christians. God, I pray that you will drive home to them that where their sin of hypocrisy has abounded, your grace abounds all the more and that you will save them. Give them grace to fly to Christ and call upon the Spirit of God to burn out the vestiges of self that mar this life. And we ask it all in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus. Amen.